Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You are listening to the Intentionally Inspirational Podcast. This podcast is created for hungry entrepreneurs who are seeking motivation, personal development resources, and actionable tips. Now for your host, Jason Wright. This is episode number 87, Investing in Your Own Success with Andre Polgar. What's happening, everybody? Jason Wright here. Another great episode of my podcast, the Intentionally Inspirational Podcast. And I've got a random story for you this week. Sometimes I have these, sometimes I don't. They generally have nothing to do with the topic of the interview, but I'd like to share them with you anyway because there is a, a takeaway, and it's kind of funny and entertaining for, for me to even do. So uh, this one is, it sounds simple, but it's a little bit more complicated. So here we go. I've been thinking for a while about how much time and money I've put into my website over the last two years. And a big piece of that was, you know, the learning process, you know, I had used free websites in the past, not too hard to use, but about a year and a half to two years ago, I started using WordPress.org and, you know, you can customize everything and use themes and there's all kinds of things you can do. And there's a huge learning curve for it, huge learning curve. And I don't know, I don't know like a ton, but I know enough to be dangerous. I know enough to pretty much figure out how to do what I want to do. Um, So I don't know, maybe a month ago, I started getting that itch like, man, I think I want to change up the website, like completely change it up because I started understanding how people use websites. And the more I mess with landing pages and squeeze pages, the more I take away and kind of apply back to the website. And I realized that like, hey, you don't have much time to put information in front of people. People aren't going to go through and read every page of your site. It just doesn't happen. You can look at the analytics to see that. So this itch has kind of been scaring me because it's like, man, what if I if I try to do something different and I end up kind of screwing it up and losing a bunch of what I put together? Or, you know, what if I if I don't like what I what I try to do, then I don't know how to make it go back. So anyway, for whatever reason, today's the day. I, I got to a point today, I sat down, I knew I was gonna have some time a couple hours ahead of me undisturbed, so I just dove in. I just dove in change the website. And as I planned, uh, a couple key areas were, were all jacked up and even missing and basically converting from one theme to another. And I thought I was going to spend, you know, half hour, hour. It's been like six hours, <laughs> six hours. And I finally taken a break and walked away from it. But um, by the time you're hearing this, it may be done. If not, it's at least mostly done. But uh, here's my point with the story. You have to take chances. You have to never be comfortable. You know, the website's been as good as it was going to be for a while now. And some people might say, you know what? It's where I want it. I'm good with it. But it's not how I'm wired. And that's how I don't think you guys should be wired either. Don't ever settle. Don't ever be satisfied. Once you conquer one goal, set a higher one and go for it again. You know, if you think about technology, and our guest today is, uh, you know, very into technology and as you'll hear, but nothing stays the same very long. Things change constantly. You know, the way I communicated in middle school with pagers and old cell phones is not the way we communicate today. And who knows what we'll be doing 20 years from now. So 
Don't be scared to take chances. Don't get comfortable. Don't settle. That's the point of that little story. All right, we are going to get to the purpose of the show. We're going to get to the great guest this week. We've got a guest coming to us from Romania. Uh, Like I said, it's Andre Polgar, and we will check out our conversation right now. What's happening, everybody? As always, I've got another great guest with me. I've got Andre Polgar. Let me tell you what I know about him. He has the YouTube channel One Minute Economics. He's the founder of that. He's the author of Wealth Manage- Management excuse me, 2.0. He's an online entrepreneur, an economist, and an investor. Andre, welcome to the show, man. Thanks a lot for having me, Jason. Yeah, no problem at all. So I'd love to hear about your journey a little bit. Um, tell us how you got started with uh, you know, working for yourself and all the things that you're into now. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird journey in that uh, there's nothing too entrepreneurial about my background. For example, I live in uh, Romania, so I come from a country that's uh, a formerly communist nation. It's not like over here entrepreneurship is encouraged all that much. But, you know, it's kind of always my thing throughout my entire childhood. I've always dreamt about doing my own thing from selling lemonade to, you know, just doing anything at all that involves me being my own boss. So essentially, I guess you could say it started when I was 12-ish years old and I taught myself HTML, HTML, sorry, I thought that was cool. So basically my journey started with development. Then later on, I guess the first instance in which I actually made uh, money in the development space was in 10th grade when I was writing articles in English on a freelance basis. So that was basically my first job, if you will. And it was actually the only quote unquote job I ever had. And then basically one thing led to another. I started my own article writing business. I then created uh, a brand around that business. I established myself. I had a bunch of customers who trust me, who trusted me. And then I went on to offering web design and then that worked as well. And then I offered hosting as well and that worked and so on and so forth. So that was basically how that was basically how I how I started uh, when it comes to the entrepreneurial side of my of my life. Mm-hmm. Tell me a bit about the the one minute one minute economics uh, YouTube channel um, series that you do. Tell us about that. Well, I have to admit that I'm I, I've never been a major YouTube user. You know, my wife, on the other hand, she loves YouTube. She follows a bunch of people on YouTube. She's like really, really good at that stuff. So one of these days we were watching a channel together and it came to me that there's definitely demand for economics related content on the internet and even more so I've always been pretty good at making complicated stuff seem easy so so I thought it would be a good idea to basically combine my skill set and enter the education space uh, online especially since 
I'm not particularly thrilled about the way in which economics is being taught, you know, mm-hmm. uh, taught, sorry, as in, as in everyone has this general idea about economics as being boring because you think about economics, you think about your boring high school professor, uh, teacher or your boring college professor. There's, there's this there's this gap between how awesome economics is, and I, I do believe economics is quite awesome, and how boring it is perceived to be. So essentially, one-minute economics was me trying to fill that void, in that the value proposition I had for people was, okay, economics is all around us, you make economic decisions whether you realize it or not, so I'm going to help you become better at economics. So that's one dimension. On the other hand, though, I do understand that people have lives, they have families, they have jobs. So it it would be not only unfair, but downright hypocritical on my part to demand too much of people's time. So the one minute concept was basically my way of trying to give people the best bang for their time that I possibly can. And that, okay, I don't need an hour of your time to teach you economics. I just need a minute. Mm -hmm. There's a few things you said there that I really like. One of them being, you know, you want to take something or you are taking something more complicated and making it simple. I think for anybody listening that's great advice for anything that that you can teach. You know, if you've got a skill set or a knowledge that other people may not have, if you can simplify that, you're definitely going to be able to help people and you're definitely going to get people to listen to you. So I think that's really, really awesome. Another thing you said that I like is the one-minute concept. You know, it makes me think of the book, um, The One-Minute Manager, and it's, it's the same concept. I mean, you don't need a ton of time to make a big impact, but we live in such a busy world. I mean, sometimes a minute or even less is – you know, all you can get from people because they're scrolling through their phones and all their social media. So I really like what you're doing there. Well, initially, I had pe- I had some people who were like, hey, why don't you make the videos longer? I really like your content. I would like the videos to be longer and, and whatever. But as time passed and as I ended up having more and more content, it became clear that the one minute concept, you know, basically works because also on the one hand, I started having more and more content. On the, on the other hand, I started becoming better and better at making the most out of each minute, literally. So... Nowadays, when I have a bunch of content on the channel and when I'm adding um, four videos each week, it becomes obvious that the one minute concept was a good idea because I I get to uh, I get to approach things from a lot of angles and I get to do it in an easy to digest pill form, if you will, mm-hmm. that that make that basically. You know, one minute economics is basically my way of enabling people to get their economic fix in a minute. That's basically all it boils down to. And as time passed, I ended up turning it into I ended up building a lot of, if you will, um, concepts around it. So I started by publishing animations. Okay, fine. Then as of a certain point, I said, okay, people want a face, they want familiarity. So why don't I also film myself and put it on the internet? What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, you know? <laughs> so, uh, then I started, um, answering people's questions, 
uh, once a week. And then I said, hmm, I think it would be a good idea if I interpreted the most important events of the week from the perspective of an economist. So I ended, doing that as, uh, ended up doing that as well. Then I started um, – ranting about the stuff that bothers me or about, you know, more complex topics, stuff that should make people think. Now I do that as well. So so a, a bunch of concepts can, can can emerge from the one minute thing. And in the end, I draw the line and I uh, and I realize that the channel is basically giving at this point people all they need to know from an economics perspective perspective. And again, it's doing it in a way that's not too burdensome time-wise in that my animations to this day are still one minute long. The rants themselves that I publish on Monday, they're one minute long. The question and answer format, again, it, it, uh, the Q&A videos are longer than one minute because I answer each question in a minute. You know, So it all depends on how many questions I have during a, a given week. And the same way, uh, the news videos are longer because um, you know, I, I cover a bunch of events in a minute each, but everything I do is kind of revolving around the one minute concept. Very nice. So when you think about entrepreneurship today, obviously there's a lot of options out there. Uh, I, I'm guessing the online option is, is more popular than brick and mortar these days. How do you think being an online entrepreneur is different than operating a shop, say in a brick and mortar setting? Well, I, I think the number one difference is the fact that the barrier to entry is ridiculously low. Yes, very well. Like said. for example, if you're talking about if you're talking about YouTube, then all you have to do essentially, you know, you, okay. In my case, there's also the animation dimension, but okay, you you don't really need not even animation skills. All you need is a camera and an internet connection, and you can start doing your thing. And and and, and it's ridiculous. You might think that you know I, I'm I'm just some dude uh, publishing content on the internet, but what you're doing is meaningful. It has an impact. Like for example, the things I do with my YouTube channel, they affect other people. They, I basically have this privilege of planting seeds in people's minds. And I end up reaching out to people from all over the world, from people even higher ups. So like just uh, a few days ago, I was contacted by a really nice guy from the Bank of England, from the Central Bank of the UK. And he was like, oh my God, I like your work. I love what you're doing. Hey, we're doing a new content. Uh, a new education-based thing. We'd like your input on that. So that's just one example. Wow, that that's a big have... deal, man. It, it 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 is, you know. And the guy was was really humble. He was down to earth. We we chatted about what we do the same way I have uh, sometimes college professors reaching out to me. And for example, my videos are are already used in the UK as well to refer to my example with the Bank of England. So. This thing that I'm doing from Romania, from the middle of nowhere, is basically reverberating across the entire internet. And I do have an audience, you know, you have an audience, you exist. And this privilege of being able to start from nothing, basically, and build something that touches other people so easily, this is a privilege that, that you and I have. But, for example, our parents, our grandparents, they didn't have this. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. And I think the way you just kind of um, captured, you know, as you say, a privilege to impact people, I think that's as well said as anybody could say it. I mean, I think that's really, really powerful. You know, I think some people may overlook the opportunity they have with a platform and, and you really embrace that with, you know, with grace and humility, which is awesome. I mean, that's really good stuff, man.
Thank you. Um, so the barrier for entry being low, I mean, that you're right. I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot for people to get involved. And I guess in some ways that may be overwhelming to people because, you know, say they want to open a Shopify store. They may be like, well, why would anybody come to my store? Because anybody can do it. I mean, I, I guess in some ways it, it may make things more challenging for people. It definitely does. And it's definitely a two-edged sword in that we're grounding in information nowadays. Like in my book, for example, I have I, I, I refer to this idea of maximizers versus satisficers, the, the idea of Barry Schwartz. So essentially what, what, he's, what that guy says is that if nowadays you're a maximizer, so someone who always wants to make the best decision – then you're going to go nuts because what do you have to do? You have to pick a phone. You have to choose a TV. You have to choose where to eat, what to wear, and so on. And and there's so much information out there about pretty much any topic you can imagine that it would be overwhelming to be a perfectionist in in, in, in today's world. So it's, it's a two-edged sword for sure because on the one hand, we have access to more and more and more and more diverse information – but on the other hand, we're also drowning in information. And it's it, right from the beginning, I didn't want, for example, one minute economics to be yet another source of noise. You know, there's so many people setting their hair on fire on YouTube and doing all sorts <laughs> of crazy stuff just to get people to watch them for hours and hours. And I, I didn't want to be that, you know, I, I wanted to be in my own guy to do my own thing to. Uh, to stand out and in my opinion you have to you know there there's there's so much noise out there and so 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 little signal that i think as as someone in the education space and as a content creator in general i think that if, if you if you're not thinking about how exactly you're going to stand out about how exactly what you're doing especially if you're not thinking about this stuff right from the beginning you're doing it wrong i think mm -hmm. so you're telling me you never considered maybe setting your beard on fire on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, hey, whatever gets the views, right? But but, but for now, no. For now, I think we're good. Well, you touched a little bit on your book. and Your book's interesting to me because you wrote it specifically for the financial education of internet professionals. Very interesting. Tell us about that. Whenever I do something, it's important for me to be authentic. And by writing this particular book, which is – which is, uh, I like to tell people it's the best book in the world that teaches those who make money online how to manage it because it's the only one. Nobody else has written something like that. And I think that as an economist – who is also an entrepreneur and who is also somebody who has been making money online himself throughout his entire career, I think I can write about this topic for this particular audience in a very convincing way because people won't perceive me as this economist who lives in his ivory tower and who looks down upon, upon people with his advice and, and whatever, but rather – People see me as their equal, as as this guy who does what he what they're doing, and who, aside from that, is also an economist. So basically, I'm able to I'm able to put a convincing perspective on the table because this is a book about how to manage your money, written by an economist for people like him. For you know, I, let me just give you an example. Uh, freelancers are a, a part of my target audience, you know, but I'm a freelancer as well. Mm -hmm. I've made money by writing articles, by designing websites on a freelance basis and whatever. Okay, maybe programmers, again, 
I'm not the best coder in the world, but if you put a gun to my head, I can write some code. Or uh, I've ran hosting businesses. I've run an auction platform. I've done a bunch, a bunch of stuff on the internet. So chances are that whatever it is that one particular reader does to earn a living, I've probably at least kind of sort of dabbled in that space. Mm -hmm. And I think that th that this unique as in, you know, really weird set of skills enable en enables me to fill this void. Because if you think about it, how many people make money online in one way or another? If you add up the SEO guys, the freelancers, the Bitcoin investors, all of these people, if you, if you put them together, we're talking about millions upon millions of people. So that's one thing. The other is that as time passed and, and, and I interacted with more and more people who make money online, I realized that a lot of these people, they're bright individuals. They're smart enough to make money online in the first place, but a lot of them aren't really good at managing their money. So I, I, definitely, I, I definitely believe there's a void that needs to build, a void which revolves around teaching these brilliant people in a lot of cases basic economics, teaching them how to make smart financial decisions, teaching them how, you know, what they need to do so that they themselves don't end up uh, becoming a story such as, oh, yeah, there's this guy who made a bunch of money on the internet and then he lost it all. Yeah, too bad, you know? Mm -hmm. There's definitely this void that, that I believe had to be filled. Absolutely. Well, give us three tips. Three tips, excuse me. You've done a lot online with business. Give us three tips for launching a startup online and what I'm kind of thinking about is that that full-time corporate employee that's maybe thinking about starting on something on the side or somebody just getting their feet wet. Yeah, well, first and foremost, I, I like to refer to myself, and it's always hard to describe what I do because I do so much stuff. I'm a professional doer of stuff on the Internet, and that's my number one tip for people, that they should go out there. They should do stuff. They should try. They should fail because if you're out there, then at least some of what you're going to do will end up sticking. I think perhaps the number one trait that I have is the fact that I'm a go-getter. I'm, I do stuff. I'm not afraid to do stuff. I don't care if I fail. And realistically speaking, out of all the projects I've started, I've failed more than I've succeeded. And if I, if I take a look at what others have done, people that I've interacted with the same way, People, successful people, for the most part, now that I think about it, have failed more than they have succeeded. So number one, be a doer of stuff. Don't be an armchair entrepreneur. It's easy to criticize what other people are doing. You have to get your hands dirty. You have to roll up your sleeves and whatever it is, just give it a try. And even if you fail, no problem. You just dust yourself off and then try again. So that would be one thing. Number two kind of goes in line with that. It's to resist the temptation of being a perfectionist. I do tend to be a perfectionist. And uh, for example, it took me three years to write Wealth Management 2.0. I, to this day, I still struggle with, with perfectionism. But I can tell you right now that it's bad for business. Of course, you need to do your best to have a good product, good service or whatever it is you're doing. But if 
you're if you have this habit of being a perfectionist it tends to destroy you and it tends to it tends to take your eyes away from the big picture so again not being a perfectionist doesn't mean not having a proper work ethic it does however mean not spending ridiculous amounts of time on things that that, that you know just don't matter and the number 3 tip that i have is right from the beginning to realize that you need a certain type of stomach to be an entrepreneur because it's very tempting for people to say, oh my God, you're so lucky. Look at what you're doing. You make money by doing something you love. Whereas I have this job that I hate. So yeah, you're so lucky. Whereas I have so much bad luck. Good for you. Yeah, it's tempting to say that, but People just don't realize how much work there is behind what you're doing, how much failure there there is, how 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 you need a certain kind of stomach to be able to withstand failure upon failure upon failure and just keep going. And also that there's so much hard work behind something that seems simple that people don't understand this. Like, let me give you some, exa- some examples. For my easiest to make videos, which are the rant videos that I publish on Monday, I kid you not, I pretty much always end up filming over an hour for one minute of footage. So this is people see the rants and they say, I mean, yeah, there's this bearded dude ranting for one minute. What can be so hard? But what they don't realize is that just for that one minute rant, I, I probably have an hour of two of raw footage. Then I have to do the editing part. Then I have to, you know, find images, do this, do that. And after drawing the line, then yeah, even for my easiest to produce videos, which are the Monday rants, I still end up investing a lot of time. So yeah, that would be tip number three. Having, developing the type of stomach it takes to succeed and most importantly, realizing that making money on the internet is probably not as glamorous and it's it's certainly not as easy as the average person perceives it to be. No, I think those are great tips and I agree with you. I was actually telling somebody within the last week that I kind of view, I mean, I've got great respect for a lot of positions in the corporate world, but I kind of review, kind of view entrepreneurship as almost like a, an expert's level of stuff because the amount of failure, like you said, the amount of risk, the amount of disappointment is, in my opinion, far greater than anything I've ever experienced in the corporate world. And, you know, you, you risk big to win big and there's, there's ways to, you know, limit that and that type of thing. But I mean, you're absolutely right. You have to be willing to lose. Uh, you have to be willing to take chances to make progress. And if what you're doing is not working, try something new, for God's sake. Pick something and try something different. I spoke to a, an aspiring author uh, in the last couple of weeks. This lady was telling me, like, I, I can't handle criticism. I can't handle failure. But I want to take this manuscript and make it a book. And I said, with all due respect, you're not going to publish mm-hmm. a book unless you get over those two things you just told me because that's part of the process. So very, very important stuff, man. Um, how how impactful has YouTube been for your business? Um, I, I like talking about different social channels because it's intriguing to me. I talk to a lot of people on the podcast and in other areas. And, you know, for some people's business, YouTube's huge. For others like mine, it's a almost an insignificant piece. And that's probably just because we haven't focused on it. But 
For you personally, I mean, how, how has YouTube been for you as far as uh, part of the business making model? Well, right from the beginning, I have to say that I was surprised as to just how powerful the community and how supportive YouTube can be as a community. Because, you know, I'm not a hypocrite. I, I, I like to be honest about what I do. And it's, it hasn't been that long since I, since I started making the, you know, the, the real life, the vlogging, the filmed YouTube videos. And essentially, I've always had a bit of insecurity related to the fact that I'm not a native English speaker, that, okay, my English, my written English was always perfect because I use it each and every day in my life and have been doing so for my entire career. But then again, my spoken English wasn't something I was accustomed to using very frequently. So initially, when I started making the film videos, I was worried that people are going to be disappointed, that the videos are not going to be good enough because for, for, for my animations, I work with a voiceover guy from the U.S. You know, my, that has been my decision right from the beginning to work with someone who has perfect English. So it, I, I was a bit stressed out about making that leap about uh, giving people access to my actual voice, to who I am, to my imperfection. And I was worried. Okay. So anyway, I was worried, but I did it regardless. And I published the first filmed video and I was shocked to find out how, despite the fact that let's be honest, my videos are not perfect. They don't have amazing production value. You know, I still have a lot to learn, but people embraced them. I, I already had a, a solid community when I started doing these videos. And people embraced them. They liked what my channel was about. They liked my idea of producing content. So they were willing to support me in anything that I do. And let me tell you something. Um, a few weeks after I started making these videos, I took a step back and um, analyzed the analytics, the statistics of my past 10 animations on the one hand and of my past 10 filmed videos on the other. And the strange thing is that my animations and my film videos had about the same number of likes, but my filmed videos about which I was so insecure actually had considerably less dislikes than my animations. And this is because of the community element of YouTube that many people don't realize in my opinion. If, if you manage to basically corner your, your, your small little slice of YouTube, if you manage to put an idea out there and build a channel around it, then the community that's gradually going to form might just surprise you as to how supportive it can be. Right now, I have people who say, if you write a book, I'm going to buy it. I have people who say, okay, what can I do to help? It's remarkable and, and ridiculous how supportive YouTube in, in particular can be. So as someone who was never a huge YouTube user, again, my wife was the YouTube user of the family, myself, not so much. I didn't, you know, subscribe to channel. I, did, I, I didn't do all of these things. I wasn't active in, the, in various communities. And once I started doing my own thing, I understood what so many people said about YouTube being a community. And I find it hard to put in words just how much potential that can have for whatever business you can have. And, you know, YouTubers support themselves through various businesses. Some sell merchandise like T-shirts and mugs and whatever. Some have their own products. In my case, I have my own books, which is pretty straightforward for an, an economist. And when you have a supportive community, which is what YouTube is all about, which is what I, I've learned YouTube is all about, then the 
ramifications that this can have for your business if you do it right, again, it, it's hard to put in words how effective of a driving force a good community can be for anything at all that you, you do, any product or service or whatever that you have. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's excellent. I've uh, had other guests in the past that have also been huge fans of YouTube. And it seems like if people, like you said, if they get their niche and they stick with it, it seems like there's some real power there to build a community. Because I've, I've heard that before, and I need to give it a, a bigger chance. But you know, it gets a challenging. There's so many social platforms, it's hard to give all of them 100%. So you kind of figure out what works for you and, and ride it to the wheels fall off, you know? As time passes, you know, basically a community is all about building something. Then people come, they embrace what you do. For example, here on on, on One Minute Economics, who are we? What do we do? Well, among other things, on One Minute Economics, we're people who can talk about controversial topics uh, in a balanced manner, in a polite manner. So we talk about all sorts of stuff. We can talk about Republicans versus Democrats. We can talk about the basic income. We can talk about Keynesianism versus Austrian economics. We can talk about all of these topics that make people want to rage, but we can do it in a productive and, 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 and polite manner. And this is, it's important to define what kind of a community you want and then do your best to nurture that the, the, those particular the, those particular traits, and if you build it, they will come. And gradually, you have something. You have a bit of a snowball effect, and that you have a concept, you have something that works. You have people that rally behind the concept in question, and one thing leads to another, and before you know it, you have a community. Absolutely. You mentioned earlier in the conversation that you were into a bunch of different stuff. What do you have next? What else is going on for you between now and the end of the year? Oh, yeah. I I always have quite a bit of stuff going on. And right now I am in the final stages, actually, of writing my new book, which is going to be basically a book about financial calamities. It's going to be a really, really balanced book that, you know, offers people the entire picture, so to speak. I'm going to have historic case studies. I'm going to have practical common sense advice. And all in all, I'm working on the type of book that people should read if they're worried about financial calamities in general, if they want to do their best so that the next one or maybe the big one doesn't uh, doesn't destroy their finances, that you know affects their family to you know, uh, to only a reasonable degree. So this is the kind, it's the type of book that puts a balanced perspective when it comes to financial calamities on the table. It's it's basically the exact opposite of what a guru would tell you because the internet is full of economists who come on financial networks or who have their own platforms and say, yeah, I have this crystal ball. I can predict the future. I know exactly when the next financial crisis is going to start. I know exactly what the price of, I don't know, gold is going to be one year from now. Whereas I think a step back and say, no, I don't know when the next financial crisis is going to hit. I don't know what the price of various assets is going to be. And even more so, and and I've done this in my Wealth Management 2.0 book as well, not only do I hide my incompetence, but I make my incompetence the focal point of my strategy. In other words, I build a strategy around 
reality around the fact that I'm just a human like any like everyone else with limited cap- capabilities, a human who does not possess a crystal ball. So let's just see what we can do. Let's build a strategy that enables us to land on our feet. And most importantly, let's build a realistic strategy based not on fantasies, but on facts. And basically in, in my new book, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to provide a balanced common sense approach to preparing for financial calamities. So yeah, that's one thing I'm doing. And hopefully the book will be uh, live this fall. I'm also, you know, here and there dabbling in exotic assets. I like to invest in domain names every now and then. I like to invest in cryptocurrencies a little bit because on the one hand of course it's lucrative on the other hand as an economist i find these exotic assets fascinating i write about them as well so there there's another thing i'm doing and i i i always have stuff going on the same way i continuously work on the channel i try to find ways to you know put the most amount of quality content on the table so for example in the future now that you know i'm I'm more accustomed to speaking in english i will be doing my own voiceovers for the animations that is going to enable me to produce more videos so i i always have a lot of stuff going on i i keep busy basically there you go very nice so if somebody listening has been inspired by something that you've said and they'd love to get in contact with you, what's the best way they could do so? Well, I'm a YouTuber who always answers comments. So if you ask me a question on one of my videos, then I'm probably going to answer it myself. You can find me on my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash one minute economics. You can check out the about section of that channel. It contains my email address. So if you have something that you want to discuss with me in private, just shoot me an email. And just like with the comments, I do my best to answer each and every email. Or, of course, you can uh, find me on the official website of Wealth Management 2.0, which is wealthmanagement2.com. You know, let's stay in touch. If if you've found some of the stuff I've said interesting, if you have a question, if you want to get in touch because there's something I can be of help with, then shoot me a message either through the channel or through the official website of my book, and I'm going to do my best to answer as quickly as I can. Awesome, man. Thank you very much for coming on today, and I I really have enjoyed what you've shared, okay? Perfect. Thanks a lot for having me, Jason. Have an awesome day, guys. Yep. See you. All right. We are back to the show. Andre, I appreciate your time and your expertise, my friend. I enjoyed it. And if you guys want to check out the show notes, Simply go to intentionallyinspirational.com forward slash episode 87. Here's the funny part. If you did that right now, there's no show notes to find. That's part of the website that's jacked up. But hopefully I'll have that set back up next week. But that's all part of the fun. Um, And I didn't even mention this at the beginning of the show, so I'll mention it now. This episode is going to be sponsored by funnelvisioncourse.com. So it's another free course I put together. Uh, By far the best I've put together My 11-year-old son showed me some ways to screen record and then use this equipment I'm talking on now to voice over the course. And uh, I actually build a sales funnel. Um, I actually set up automations and hook everything up right there on the course. And the funny part is the people who will be watching the course actually went through the funnel that I'm showing them in the course. So uh, I'm trying to educate people on automation, funnels, how they work, what they are landing pages, 
email and even text automation as well. So pretty cool. And if you go to my website, you'll see that above the fold on the front page. That's part of the change I made, but good stuff there, guys. Uh, as always, I, I, I just really want to emphasize this from the beginning of the show. Don't be comfortable. Don't settle. Don't be scared to keep taking chances. Don't stay where you are because of you know where you want to go may be uncertain to you. Uh, failure is part of the process. Like I said, I upgraded or changed the website, missing a ton of the podcast stuff. Uh, can I fix it? Yeah, but it's you know it, it's going to take some serious time. So, uh, but when it's said and done, was it worth it? Hell yes, hell yes. All right. With that being said, enjoy your weeks. Thank you for the ear. We will be back again next week with another great episode for you. Until then, take care. Thanks for listening to Intentionally Inspirational. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or check us out on SoundCloud. To check out all of our resources for your startup business success, visit our website at intentionallyinspirational.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.